All right. This is the New Glarus Brewing Podcast with Dan Carey. Dan Carey is busy being a brewmaster today, but we have someone I'm very excited to talk to. We have Will Holthusen today with us, and Will is uh, a member of both our maintenance team, and he helps run our two wastewater treatment plants, which I have to think is kind of unique for for a brewery, Will. Uh, Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I guess... um once you get to a certain size output, um, wastewater really is an important uh, important aspect of the brewing business model. It also kind of depends on where you're located as far as how big the municipal sewerage system is that your effluent or your wastewater, synonymous terms, um, mm-hmm. flows to. So it's uh, it's kind of a, a dual part there. Yeah, and and. We'll, we'll get to all that. And I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself because it's really funny. I was like, I'm really excited to talk about why we do wastewater here at, at New Glarus. But can you give us a little bit of, of your background, uh, where you're from? I, I, I understand you're sort of from this area too, right? Yeah. Um, I grew up in Mount Horeb, which is a stone's throw away um, for most of my life. I spent mm-hmm. uh, a short time in the southwest corner of Wisconsin and um, a summer in Colorado. But I've been in uh, in Wisconsin for my life, I would consider myself. Well, what were you doing in Colorado? Uh, I was a camp counselor for a summer. It was like the oh, best, yeah? best summer of my life. Just so, up in the Rockies with, uh, yeah. with a, <laughs> I went to, like, I had very little experience with camp. Like when I got older and in my twenties, I, you always hear these people like, oh, went away to summer camp and did this. My summer camp was always like the YMCA summer camp where you just like got dropped off at, like, you know, like eight and your parents came and picked you up at five. What is like a, a, a legit summer camp in the Rockies like? I'm just interested in that. Well, I mean, parents uh, drop their kids off on, you know, Sunday morning mm-hmm. and it's uh, parents either are local. Kids can fly in if that's their thing, um, if they're too far away. But uh, they stay with counselors and cabins for a week and then they go home on Friday. Yeah. And it's really funny when you like move away for like a year and then come back. Like I, I moved to, to was I was originally from Northern Illinois, but I moved to Wisconsin in like oh one, and I was here all the way up until like twenty twenty. Then I spent like one year in Vermont, and it's like then you come back and you're like, ah, did I break the streak? Did I not break mm-hmm. the streak? But but did you grow up on like a, a you grew up in you said uh, Mahorab? Yeah. Yep. Now was that farmland or was it uh, more of like a suburban kind of environment? Um, in my younger days, it was uh, maybe a little more kids in school that were farm centric, but mm-hmm. now it's um, probably considered a bedroom community for Madison. There's been a lot of growth in, in that village. Oh yeah. Well, it's like, it's kind of perfectly situated as you're sort of landlocked on the isthmus and yep. you need housing, come yep. out into Mount Horeb and all of that. So you come back, you come back from Colorado doing the camp counselor thing. How did you first uh, get involved here at the, the brewery and, and get hired on? And was it always in maintenance or how did that, that sort of evolve? Yeah, so I've, I've been part of the maintenance or reliability team um, since I've been here. And I'm, uh, it'll be 12 years in December. Um, so it's it's been a while, a uh, majority of my life, if you think about it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I actually wasn't really looking for a job. Um, I had worked in a glass manufacturing uh, facility prior to this yeah. in the same capacity. So um, doing maintenance and reliability there. Um, the schedule was a little difficult. We worked um, uh, 72 hours a week usually. So it was it was at, a lot. At the glass factory. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, on my one day off, I came down here with family and uh, it's like, this looks like a pretty legit place to work. Um, and it turned out they had a opening for a, a maintenance technician. So I went through the application process and uh, 
through maybe some luck and my own skill, uh, I was offered a job and took it on. So I do have a, I do have a follow up question about about the maintenance, uh, the maintenance side of things. But how was working in a glass factory? What were you making? Uh, so we made solar glass. OK. And, um, so we took a glass that piece of glass that was roughly two feet by four feet and ground the edges similar to the top of your car window, mm-hmm. um, drilled a hole in it, washed it and then tempered it. So you bring it up to about 1100 C, mm-hmm. um, really hot, and then crash cool it, which changes the carbon structure of the glass. So you can literally take a hammer and hit the middle of that glass as hard as you can, and the hammer will bounce. Wow. So it's, you know, hail protection for solar panels. But if you take the same hammer and just tap the edge of the glass, the whole piece shatters. <laughs> That's ins- that is insane. And one of the things I really like about doing uh, this podcast is, you know, and we were talking a little bit about this before we started recording is that you, n- you never really get a sense of how the things you consume are made. You know what I mean? Like for a bottle of beer, for instance, it's like, oh, yeah, you, there, it's really easy to just be like, oh, that some guy having just the time of his life made a really great beer. And now I'm having the time of my life drinking it out of this bottle. But each step of the way, there's going to be some hard work. And this was some, one of the reasons I was really interested in talking uh, to, to someone on reliability and maintenance, and especially you, considering uh, how closely you're working in our wastewater treatment plant and sort of the after effects of the brewing process, is that one of the things I've gotten the distinct impression from Dan and Deb is, uh, is that they have a healthy respect for the trades, right? Like, um, our scholarship program is specifically tailored to kids in local high schools that are applying to trade school to get trade jobs. How did you find coming into this brewery sort of the emphasis on on the skilled labor trades? Um, boy, that's a that's kind of a difficult one to answer. I think within the mindset of a tradesperson, it. Um, like a lot of careers, it starts uh, young. Mm-hmm. So I remember I was probably in second grade uh, in the summer. My dad bought me a non-working riding lawnmower. Yeah. And he left for work. And when he came back, there was not a piece left on it. Like I had taken <laughs> everything apart and I was, you know, seven years old. So yeah. it's maybe more of a, a mindset um, that... Uh, could start young, but typically tradespeople learn on the job. They mm-hmm. may go through an apprenticeship. Um, they may have a technical school background. Uh, I do from Madison Area Technical College. Hey, I started MATC. Yeah, man. Yeah. Back when back when it was MATC. Yeah, now Madison College. But yeah. um, they do have an industrial maintenance program, which touches on, uh, well, basically everything that we need to do. So there's plumbing, there's electrical, there's welding, there's soldering, there's um, some PLC work. So the the computers that make equipment, modern equipment run a um, little bit of everything uh, to do to do the trade. And were you out at the Truex campus then? Yep. Yep. That was a, that was a really cool campus out there. As, as just a side tangential thing, one of the really things, the great things I loved about MATC is when I came to Madison as 18, yeah, I didn't have any plan or, or, or whatever, but I knew I was like, oh, all the kids are downtown. I want to be downtown. And at that time, MATC had a downtown campus. So mm-hmm. when it was like, OK, I think I, I'm ready to start my education. I was able to, like, go to a campus that was, you know, the UW is huge. It takes up most of the downtown area to the west side. 
but I got to be there as well uh, in my little MATC campus, which has since been sold off. But uh, it, it made me feel like, OK, I'm doing the normal thing now. You know what I mean? MATC yeah. was so great for stuff yeah. like that. Well, normal's normal's funny because uh, uh, trades are normal, too. Yeah. You know, rather than a traditional four year uh, Bachelor of Science or Arts. Um, yeah. Trades are pretty lucrative and uh, they're very well paid. Also. Well, well, and that's the thing when you talk to, to Dan and Deb and we give uh, tours, um, we'll have like local elected officials come through every once in a while and we'll give tours to them. And one of uh, our, the, the favorite stops is always at our sort of our machine shop because it's because, you know, like we were saying, it's easy to just, you know, think, you know, brewing beer is just, you know, mashing in brewing wort, fermenting it, bottling it and sending it out. But, you know, we have... <laughs> I don't know how many how many folks are back there now. Like at least we've got uh, three full time employees and um, the manager who uh, is on the floor with us every day. Yeah, and we're talking welding and maintenance. Like there's always something going on in that machine shop, and we tour people by it. They, I, Dan stopped uh, was just happened to be there one time, and he just you know gave a ten minute speech to these elected officials about why they need to be funding the trades and, oh, yeah, and getting yeah. those scholarships out there. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it's pretty well known that, um, you know, the four year degree has been pushed and there's a lot of value in those, in those degrees. However, um, there's been a disparity in trades and, uh, they, it's, uh, when your toilet backs up and you call a plumber, uh, you expect them to be there right away. But when there's a shortage of plumbers, uh, you've got a problem. Yeah. And I, I experienced, you, you know, you'll, you'll experience this on the world. I remember I need an electrician when I like speaking of that year in Vermont, I need an electrician. And, uh, you know, we were in a town of like maybe 10,000 people. Like everyone was telling us six months, eight months, nine mm-hmm. months, whatever it was. And it's just like, you, you don't experience the shortage of a tradesperson until you really need a tradesperson. Yeah. Yeah. So to that end, you, did you, did you start off with wastewater or did that sort of evolve in, uh, during your time here? Um, I think, uh, the brewery gives people a lot of latitude to kind of figure out where they best fit mm-hmm. and where their minds, um, do best fit within the organizational structure. Um, however, uh, it was, it was kind of part of, uh, part of the interview process that I would be um, operating and maintaining and running that plant. And what's really funny is uh, when I was in MATC, we took a tour of a wastewater plant and I said, I will never do that. That (laughs) will never be something that I do. That will never be me. And if you're going to work in a wastewater plant, I'm guessing a wastewater plant at a brewery is probably one of the better ones you can work in. Uh, Yeah. And especially our specific plant doesn't handle all of the nasty human waste. So it is just process waste. Yeah. So really we have a completely food grade wastewater treatment plant, which is rare. Very rare. Well, yeah. And I was, I was going to say, now, when you first started, there's probably only the one plant, right? Correct. Yes. So can you walk me through how it starts to come to be where you, you guys, and then and, and speaking with Dan and Deb, start to understand like, okay, we're just producing more wastewater than even one wastewater treatment facility that we have can handle. Yeah, that, um, that was uh, some fun conversations. Um, we uh, uh, were going through some future growth projections and mm-hmm. realized at our, um, our nutrient levels that, uh, are in the wastewater that leaves the brewery, we were at the point where our present plant was quickly becoming, uh, right up next to its capacity. And when I say capacity, I mean, uh, digestion capacity, or if you're a brewer, how much beer can you ferment? Mm -hmm. Um, 
hydraulic capacity was also part of that conversation. So we, um, Dan did some calculations and I threw some numbers around and we kind of figured, okay, this is, this is the best way to go. Um, I will say that uh, our two plants work very well in conjunction. Mm-hmm. If you really break down the wastewater treatment process, uh, you've got three basic steps. Um, clarification of the primary influent. So, and, and that's getting like particulates out. Yeah, exactly. So um, some people do it with screening. There's vortex separators. There's a million ways to do it. But mm-hmm. uh, the simple way of putting it is, Get the big chunks out. If there are rocks, get those out. If there is, because we're a brewery, obviously we're going to have grain. Separate that out. That's step number one um, that occurs in our original building. Um, Step number two is uh, fermentation or digestion. So Mm -hmm. that is where um, the microbes digest nutrients. Mm -hmm. Um, They are aerobic, so they are fed air, and uh, they digest nutrients and that's what they do. Uh, so yeah. that's step two. And then, so it's getting any small living creatures sort of out of it. Or, uh, not or only, um, not so much that, but uh, any soluble. So okay. any nutrients that are in solution or insoluble, meaning like a chunk of yeast, yeah. breaking that down and okay. releasing the nutrients of that and digesting those. So that's kind of step two. And that occurs in our new building. Um, and step three is clarification. So, uh, very, this is like ridiculously similar to making beer, by the way, you know, you've kind of have three main parts to the brewery. You have the brew house, you have the cellar, and then you have the packaging Mm -hmm. side. Um, so clarification, you're really, um, to relate it to brewing terms, you're separating the microbes that do the digestion out of clear liquid. So okay. that can be done with uh, settling, uh, that can be done with filtering, mm-hmm. that can be done many ways, but we use what's called a, a, a membrane bioreactor. So it's really, you can think of it as, um, it's similar to an RO, RO uh, for water, a reverse osmosis system. Okay, okay. Yeah, it's funny, you, you, know, it's like, uh, you know, a mem- uh, what was it called, a membrane? A membrane bioreactor. A membrane bioreactor. Like, in, in my head, because I am, I am, like, I love words, and I love how they kind of go together, and that's sort of my bread and butter, and what they sort of invoke. And when, when I was hearing that, I was like, that sounds like some Spider-Man stuff right there. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, man, I, just, I got this membrane bioreactor. I think it's going to be good against Doc Ock. <laughs> you yeah, know, right, you right, know what right. I mean? But I do, I do find this really interesting because, uh, you know, this seems... And, and in coming to talk to Dan a lot and in coming to talk to Deb a lot and, and other members of the team, it seems to be right in line with sort of this ethos that I'm getting, uh, I'm starting to get my hands around, which is, you know, sure, you could do it this one way. But if you do it, if you take the extra steps to 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 really do the job in the correct way, in, in the way that will make uh, make it obvious that you are you are taking time and care in this, then that'll win you sort of dividends down the end. And what I what I mean by that is, you know, even with you know probably larger breweries, I don't know in other states or whatever who could be comparable, but I I don't know of any that are running a wastewater treatment facility like this. But for us, it seemed like you know taking these extra steps and making it apparent that we're taking these extra steps was something that was going to be the right thing to do, but also not just belabor our, our neighbors, you know, mm-hmm. for, for their treatment, uh, for their 
just water needs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that I have been to several larger breweries, mm-hmm. um, ranging in capacities, and the the big ones do have wastewater treatment. They plants. do. However, they're not part of that like uh, sexy beer garden. You know, we so we have a pub and everything. Um, yeah. They're usually. Uh, way off to the side and usually disguised very well. So you wouldn't even recognize it. And one, and that, that was one of the things when we built a new one, I know is sort of um, the housing around it is actually very kind of pretty. Oh, it's, it's beautiful. And uh, I'm sure when Deb was thinking about that, the aesthetics was extremely important that our facilities are right at the entrance to the brewery. Oh yeah. And you know, do you want people to, first show up to your business as a visitor and a guest and see some really ugly, nasty uh, equipment sitting outside that's exposed to rain and everything? Or do you put it in a nice, pretty building that really does fit the architectural uh, uh, style of the surrounding countryside? And as we're talking about treating our water... Now, what's like a what's like the capacity on a typical wastewater run? Like, how many gallons are we talking about? What what is sort of like a typical run for you guys through one of one of the treatment facilities? Yeah. So unlike brewing, which is a batch process where we produce so many batches, um, the wastewater treatment process can be a batch process for sure. But ours is a continuous process. Okay. so you can't really think of it as much in like batches of beer or production runs. It never shuts off. So, so it's just kind of constantly yes, doing yes. it. All um, right. So we have a, a holding tank at the beginning of the system. So that level will vary and we will take liquid out of that at different rates depending on production. Um, so that's the long answer to your question. The, uh, the short answer is we can do uh, presently configured roughly 80,000 gallons of hydraulic throughput. Mm-hmm. Um which is about half the equation when you think about wastewater is how much water there is to treat. The other part of that is how how many nutrients are in that liquid. So you can think about it like if you think about it like 30th anniversary ale yeah. is obviously very, very heavy and dense beer. There's a lot going oh, yeah. on there. There's yeah, Belgian candied sugar. There's just a ton. Yep. There's a ton on the malt bill. It's yep. it's a lot. And if you relate that to our totally naked brand, yeah. uh, there's still it's complex beer. There's a lot going on, but it's very simple. However, the uh the total sugar, the total alcohol are completely different, but they're both twelve ounces. Yeah. So that's the other side you have to think about with um, with wastewater treatment is how many nutrients you have to digest before you can get rid of the liquid. Um, so that is done in pounds of uh, something called BOD, which okay. is biological oxygen demand. Gotcha. Um, and uh, we can treat uh, presently configured in our new plant up to 3,000 pounds um, of BOD. So that's uh, kind of a... Uh, a strange uh, way to think about nutrients, but it's the industry standard. Gotcha. No, that, no, that it does make sense though, because yeah, we, when you're talking about treating, it's, it's like the, it's like almost like the water you're treating the water, but that's not what the process is about. The process is about what you're taking out of the water. Absolutely. So the, the unit of measurement, it would make sense then to be like, yeah, sure. We put through 8,000 gallons, whatever it is, but how many pounds of crap do we take out of this stuff? Yeah. Yeah. And it's not, um, it's not like you're removing a solid necessarily, yeah. but things that are in solution. 
uh, that you have to digest. And then I know, you know, I know the big reason why we do it is because, you know, we don't want to stress the local system. Where, what is the, you know, once it's gone through it, the throughput is heading out. Where's it heading to? So we actually do discharge to the municipal sewer. Yeah. Um, we do that so uh, we can avoid some of the permitting um, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, NPDES permitting system, which yeah. is uh, part of the Clean Water Act of 1972 um, to go way back in history. But uh, uh, really, it's it's part of our kind of corporate social responsibility is if we built a brewery, which put a huge loading on the municipal infrastructure Mm. and the ratepayers of the village had to pay for that, that is very, very unfair and a really good way to make the entire community uh, very angry at you, you know? Yeah. Pretty Um, quickly. Yeah. You can have as much goodwill as you want, but as soon as you hit people in their wallet, bill bill increases start showing up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, obviously there's economic and financial sense for us to treat our water, but it's a, uh, it's a very multi-pronged approach. And so, so it goes through the, it still goes through the municipal system at a slower rate and already treated. So it's not, it's basically like they don't have to do anything to it. Yeah. The, the water that we discharge to them is as clean as they discharge. So it's uh, what we have uh, is almost, it's very close to drinking quality water that we put in the sewer. So as you're thinking back, sort of like, um, you know, through decide, you know, sort of, it seems like you were a bit with this, you, you know, this, the tinker bug like, mm-hmm. er, er, early on, and you knew you wanted to go, go into some, some of the trade, you wanted to go into a trade. Did you know it was going to, did you think like, oh, I want to, I want to work in maintenance, helping fix things. Or did you ever have the impetus to be like, uh, oh, I want to build cars or I want to build whatever. Or do you do any of that stuff in your personal life? Uh, not so much building cars. I, um, uh, I really, I just, I enjoy equipment and I really enjoy manufacturing goods. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a very, um, it's a very tangible thing to see. You know, I, I have produced this many units today or, yeah. uh, there's, there's a lot of job satisfaction for me within the maintenance world. When you walk up to a machine, that's not doing what it should do. And when you walk away, it's working flawlessly. You know, there's there's very immediate job satisfaction and gratification to that. Um, that's deeply satisfying. And as far as you know, a maintenance team goes, you all in the maintenance on the maintenance side of things seem you know like a really kind of a tight knit a tight knit group, right? Mm-hmm. You guys seem like you, you you get along and you have some com- and you have camaraderie back there. Mm-hmm. How how do you find working in the on the on the maintenance team and what are sort of like the discussions like when stuff is going wrong? Cause you know, sometimes it could be like, you know, one guy thinks this, another guy thinks that, how do you guys sort of come together when you need to find a solution on something that's sort of like a, a stumper where it's just like, it's not so obvious. Like, Oh yeah, the, the thing bro- that part broke, we need to replace that part. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think, um, we all kind of have our different ways of thinking, which is really good is to vo- avoid that group think, you know, yeah. we, uh, I don't know that we've really come up, uh, in recent memory with anything that we've been like stumped at as a, as a team, you know, um, I may be stumped at something and take it to an employee and, uh, you know, a coworker and he's like, Oh, just do this. Oh, that's really simple. Why didn't I think of that? You know, yeah. Um, for example, that same employee, if, if we want to move a piece of equipment within the brewery, uh, he's like, he's the dude, right? So if he says like, 
well, we're going to do it this way. There's no question in my mind. You just do it that way. Yeah. And so um, I think the the different perspectives that the different uh, employees have within the team um, really lends to a lot of that. And it's really, you know, it's funny. It just sparked this sort of uh, thought in my head. You, you know, the trades have been historically an, uh, a historically well-paid group of American workers, right? Because they know the stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And I get the sense it's like you pay them, you pay them well because they can do it, but you also pay them well because, like you're saying, they through just years of experience of fixing, moving, becoming experts in these things. They just know the answer. They not only can they do it, but they don't have to sit around thinking about it a whole lot. It's just no, I know how to. You you pay me because five years ago I figured this out. Yeah, yeah, you're paying for experience. It's um, it's like when you hop in your car to drive home, you don't even think about it. You you turn the key, put it in drive, or put it in first gear, and you drive away. You don't think about the driving process. But yeah. when you were 15, 16, learning that, that took all every, you know, iota of your brain power. Oh, yeah. So it becomes one of those, you know, subconscious learned behaviors. Yeah. And I do. And I, you know, I do think that, you know, and as you were saying, the four year degree has been has been emphasized a lot, you know, especially over the last like 30 or, or 40 years. It just seemed like you know, one of those things uh, that you just sort of do. And I think about my, my, you know, my grandpa on my mom's side, you know, worked at general, the GE in, in one of their plants. I, I still don't fully understand what he was doing. I know he was a la- I know he was a laborer. He wasn't like in an office somewhere. He was b- building something for GE. And my other grandpa was like one of these guys who's just like, uh, sometimes auto mechanics, sometimes, you know, sure. painter, sometimes whatever. But they all they all made good livings, and I know price increases. There, you know, inflation in the economy and price increases are everything uh, on everything. But it does seem we are coming to this juncture where we have to sort of rethink how how we're tell the options we're telling kids that are viable. You know what I mean? Because you can go in and you certainly can go in and get a four year degree. I, I got a four year degree in literature and somehow have parlayed that into various writing gigs for the last like oh geez is it almost yeah almost 18 years now but it's a hard road to hoe you know what i mean when you're trying to convince people of that but it's not a hard it's hard road to hoe to convince people that you can weld when you can weld (laughs) you know yeah yeah um it's uh it's those tangible skills always have value for sure um i think in our three-day interview process, it's pretty easy to tell the people that can do the job. Um, yeah. You know, we, we bring people in and, um, you know, here's a welding test. Here's a wiring test. Here's a mm-hmm. soldering test. Can you thread this pipe? Can you replace this bearing? You, you know, should be able to do things. this. Yeah. And if someone can't, well, you look at their experience and see, are they trainable? Can they, can they figure this out? Do they have that... Um, constantly questioning mine that uh they just don't stop thinking about solutions well and that was going to be a question uh i was going to come up with has there been instances where it's like man this guy has all the heart in the world all the try hard we just need to give him three months or her three months and see and see where this goes um boy tough one for me to to answer um we have had uh an intern who i thought was she was pretty spectacular mm-hmm. um you know she she didn't bring in the skills that she could do 
all of the work, but she was doing the same program that I did yeah. and uh, another coworker did. So she, all of us were at one point in that, that point where we had never done something and you got to figure it out. So, uh, um, you know, they, she did have all the heart in the world and she was a great, great coworker. And that, and that's one of the things I just, uh, I really dig about, I dig about it around here is that, you know, I, I heard this once before, um, when I, I, for like, I think two hiring cycles in a row, I applied to be a massive fire, uh, fire, firefighter. Okay. I was a little, I was a little long in the tooth for it. And I kind of knew that, but I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of going through a career lull and trying to figure out what I want to do. And, and I remember I, I got all the way to, I, I made it through the whole process and did like the physical test and passed all that stuff and got on the hiring list. But when I was doing my interview with the chief, he said, uh, he said, yeah, I don't know. You know, I can't, you know, there's no guarantees for anyone to get hired on. It's very competitive, but I'll tell you this much. Um, we hire, we hire people and make them firefighters. We don't hire firefighters really, you know? So yep. and I, I kind of get that impression. That's kind of the same way around here where they, you know, of course you need to have, you know, the baseline, right? The requisite yep. baseline to do at least the entry version of the job. But it seems like they're interested in, 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 in really making uh, team members into experts. Yeah. And, uh, you know, brewing obviously has a lot of transferable skills between cheese making, brewing, you know, biological processes um, within the, the maintenance world. Like a bolt is a bolt wherever you are. You know, uh, a fastener is a fastener, a bearing is a bearing. So there are a lot of transferable skills um, within the maintenance world. It's you're taking those skills and you're learning the process at the facility that you work mm -hmm. and not not only the process as you're learning the equipment, you know, learning learning a piece of equipment is uh, it's like riding a, a dirt bike versus a Harley Davidson. You know, yeah, it, they're very different motorcycles, but they're still a motorcycle. So, yeah. you know, what are what are the quirks of this machine? What are the intricacies of this machine? Um, what are the things that you have to watch for? Um, uh, it's kind of like kind of like having a child, honestly. Yeah, no. Yeah, that makes a that makes a lot of sense. It, it really does, because it's like, yeah, you can. And, and especially if you get a new piece of equipment, it's like, well, it, yeah, it's this is still a kegger, but it's slightly different. And now we have to kind of relearn what it's about. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, and also I, I will add that, um, different machines that come from different places in the world, mm -hmm. uh, have like really obvious design differences. You know, I've, yeah. I've worked on, uh, in the past, a lot of Italian equipment and you look at this machine and you're like, yeah, that looks Italian. That looks you know, Italian. They have a way of doing things. Yeah, and you look at something that's built in Germany, and you're like, yeah, that's that's German. Uh, and you look at something that's built in the U.S., and you're like, yeah, guaranteed, that's a U.S. built machine. It, it's know, so it's, funny because, like, in your head, you start running through, like, okay, yeah, the Germans, the German piece, like, this is very linear. This this all makes very sense, and why it goes here, and you think yeah. the Italian machine would be like, hey, put a little style on this thing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And they all they all have their foibles and intricacies. Now, one of the things I'm, I'm sort of interested in uh, from the a maintenance perspective is Dan, you know, Dan's a really interesting guy, right? He went to UC Davis, got his, you know, food science degree with a uh, focus in brewing, very focused on that, came out of there and, you know, went to a startup brewery, but then spent a lot of time traveling the country, building breweries, essentially, you know, being the one-stop shop of like, 
I'm going to be your guy who installs it and maintenance crew for a little bit and, and figure, you know, figure out how your equipment works. And, and those intricacies you're talking about in working for a guy like Dan, who has this sort of institutional knowledge, uh, do you, do you find that he'll, that he's, uh, you know, kind of involved in the maintenance aspect of things as too, or has just a inherent interest in it as well when things are going wrong with the equipment? I would say he has, um, uh, a very deep appreciation mm-hmm. for the equipment, and uh, it's very easy to describe uh, the problem with the machine. And, yeah, you know, a proposed solution if if he's interested, um, because he's been there and he's done that. You know, he he knows what it what it feels like to not have something work. And yeah, not only that is um, uh, he knows you know each piece of equipment very well, even though he may have put it in and. 2007. For example, yeah. there was a, a piece of equipment that um, was malfunctioning and uh, he was like, well, this machine is designed to run with between this and this moisture level and we must be outside of that and that's why it's not functioning and he was absolutely correct. That Yeah, his mind seems to be a bit of a, of a steel trap when it comes to all things <laughs> brewing in, in, his, in his brew house. It, and it's kind of funny when you talk to him about stuff and he'll he'll know exactly like not only the year they picked up like a piece of equipment here at Riverside, but the year it was manufactured. Yeah, because because oh, yeah. he was very much in tune with like I'm getting this equipment used for on a deal or something like that, and then had to get really intimate with, with you know like a 1954 whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know that's only knowledge that can come through selecting that piece of equipment. And for the case of. Uh, the Riverside Brew House, you know, shipping it out of concrete in Germany and shipping it over here. You're going to know exactly how that machine looks, functions, and operates when you've done it. Yeah, and 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 that brings up another interesting question. And I know you're you primarily working uh, working maintaining wastewater our wastewater treatment facilities, which you know is a very important uh, a very important aspect. But we do have two completely separate brew houses and two completely separate. Uh, specs of machines and this one over here was sort of uh, you know the the one on the hill was built in like i think 2007 and all came together at the same time this one down here got sort of put together as they could afford different stuff do you guys ever have to come down here for maintenance and does that present unique challenges of like sort of the frankensteiny nature of riverside um it uh, there can be challenges, but um, we've kind of learned how to how to mitigate those. But all of all of us within the department um, function at both breweries uh, a lot of times daily. You know, I'm I'm at Riverside every day. I'm at Wastewater every day, and I'm at the Hilltop Brewery every day. It's not like we're we punch in at Riverside and yeah. stay there all day. That's pretty rare. It's sort of weird. what's uh, what's the fire to put out now? Yeah, and where or, is it at? Yeah, what. Um, you know, if I have a whole stack of preventative maintenance for the Riverside Brewery, I'm just going to try and lump that in so I don't have to drive back and forth between the two places. And I'll spend most of my day here and then take care of what I need to take care of on the hill. Wow. And as yeah, this is just this is all fascinating to me because, like I said at the top, it's, uh, you know, the thing I'm just coming around to and realizing more and more and more is like, you know, whatever you're consuming, whether it's a beer a piece of cheese, the benches we're sitting on, somebody somewhere had to fix a piece of machine machinery to make that happen. And somebody somewhere had to operate that, that machinery to make that happen. And I think, 
yeah, the, the more I do these, the, the more that just comes into focus for me. You know what I mean? Just yeah. like the, how many people are involved in everything we have around us at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And if you take it all the way back, you know, all raw materials are really their mind or they're grown. Yeah. That's you really the only two options and every process that it takes to make a glass beer bottle is all a value-added process. There's someone who mines the sand. There's someone who makes the additives to the sand. There's someone who melts it down and blows it into a glass bottle. Um, you know, any coatings that are put on the glass, all those things before it even gets to the brewery. Yeah. So there's, uh, there's really, if you, if you think about the the global supply chain, there is a lot going on in the products that you, uh, use every single day. Oh yeah. And I think a, a lot of us got, uh, our first real education in what happens when the global supply chain isn't functioning as it, as it should be uh, yeah, around yeah. 20, around sometime around 2020. I think yeah. we, we all figured that out when we went to the store and said like, oh, gee, there didn't seem any toilet paper here. Yeah, yeah. Or more, you know, uh, not the toilet paper is unimportant, but um, more public health uh, related medical equipment, say for example, cotton swabs. Oh yeah. Yeah. We couldn't get them because no one in the U S makes them because it's not cost effective. So, you know, from a national security point that that gets to be a problem. And it's funny that you brought up the 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 COVID thing because uh I think people are kind of tuning into that and the whole globalized economy is still going to be global, but um there may I would hope there's a lot of manufacturing that comes back to the U.S., um, especially those critical things that you need yeah. that you've never really thought about. Well, yeah. And you think about some of these cities like, you know, like Milwaukee, which used to be a manufacturing hub for, a, you know, just a ton of stuff. Port City, it can get, you know, it can ship through the Great Lakes out to the to the Atlantic, you know, Detroit, you know, these, these, I never like using the term Rust Belt because it's just, it's just, I don't know, it just seems such like a derisive, derisive term, I guess. But, you know, when you start thinking about the trades and you start thinking about why they're important and it's like, yeah, you can come out of, of a trade school with a welding degree and you, or, or go through an apprenticeship put on by one of the unions, whatever. And you can probably be making, you know, starting somewhere around 50, $60,000 a year. And that's, that's a good starting wage these days. And I, I might be wildly off base in my quoting, but that's just a number I hear a lot. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, you know, that sort of personal, um, uh, you know, motivation to, to start talking more about the trades, like you're saying is absolutely true of just, if you don't make anything here, then you don't have anything here. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you'll, you'll ship all your money out of your country. Yeah, no. And, and this is why I love talking to, to various team members here because of exactly because of this, this is the, like, I always say, I'll get in these conversations with Dan and I'm just like, Man, when you start talking about beer, you start talking about global politics, you start talking about manufacturing, you start talking about the economy and labor and healthcare. It it it's t taking this one little nugget that just branches off into all these different parts of of one's life when you start thinking about the folks who actually manufacture the things that you enjoy, you know? Absolutely. Well, life life isn't really that simple. You no, know, it's, it's, it's kind of romantic to think if it's simple, but uh boy, it's a complicated world. It takes a lot of effort to make stuff look easy. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. really, really very, does. Very true, very true. So when we do have team members in here, I do like to, to ask, since, since this is a beer podcast about a brewery, what, what's been in your glass lately? What have you been looking for when you sit down for dinner or going up to the, 
you know, going up to the, the serving station there for a shifty? Well, um, I'm really looking forward to Oktoberfest, uh, our Staghorn Oktoberfest. That's, that's oh, yeah. a fantastic beer that really, it fits the season. You know, you're, you're getting ready for raking leaves, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. Um, if, uh, if I were going to choose my, my perfect brand, um, uh, that we produce, it's either Uftebach or, um, a, uh, a beer that we made called Cracked Wheat, which ironically, that's the first beer that I bought when I was of drinking age. I walked into a liquor store and I was like, I don't know what I'm looking at here. But yeah. That looks, you know, that looks like uh, a good beer and it's made just down the road. So, yeah, I'll give it a shot. Yeah. Cracked Wheat was was really was really good. And I know. And then that was sort of like um, it, was, it, it was one it was, that was we always start talking when we start talking to Dan about the different beer styles he's made and when he he made them. If I'm recalling correctly, Cracked Wheat was sort of like a, a hoppy wheat beer, right? Um, I don't really remember as much of the uh, the hop character to it. Um, I know we've we've made the hopster beer, which yeah. was uh, more of a wheat beer that was more assertively uh you know, hopped, but I remember the, the, the cracked wheat being just the perfect wheat beer. Nice. The one that you, you want to pour really hard and have a, a huge mountain of foam on top and, um, really enjoy. Yeah. And I'm, I'm with you on Uftabak. I, I absolutely love that beer. And every time it comes back, I, I absolutely just stock a mountain of, of Uftabak. And I didn't realize that was the second beer this, this brewery made. I was talking to Dan the other, yeah. I, I think I knew it, but like whenever he says, it, I'm like, oh yeah, Ufta has been around for a while. Yeah. Yeah. The other, the other style that I really like is a Rattler, um, which, yeah. uh, people in Wisconsin would know it as a Shandy. Yeah. But, um, uh, uh, another craft brewery makes a style um, of a Rattler. And uh, I don't particularly think the beer is that tasty. However, it's the first beer I ever drank with my wife. So I have this huge, like emotional attachment to that brand, which is oh, fun. Oh yeah. And it's really funny how like um, the LC, sometimes people like Razin the Shandy, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. Ah, you're putting lemon in your beer. But I was over in, you know, I've, I've been over to Germany a couple of times. Like, this is a traditional German thing. Like, I remember I was in, uh, oh, whatever uh, town Weinstefan is in. And I just went to, like, a corner grocery store. And I think they had the, the uh, Stiefel Rattler there. And I bought one of those. It was cold. And I was, you know, just something to have in the hotel room. And I was like, this is you know, this is really a refreshing <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Good beer. Sometimes you don't want anything even with a four or five percent alcohol. You want something with a lower alcohol and a lot of times the Rattlers can be there. Yeah, and you know what I I, I will shame no Rattler. Yeah, yeah. Over here. I think I think it is a refreshing beverage. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Well, thank you very much for your, your time, Will. I really, really appreciate this and uh and your perspective on you know, wastewater treatment and uh, the trades and and all that good stuff. Yeah, well thanks for having me, Sam. No problem. You have a good day. 